Welcome to the podcast, Live Transformed, episode number 267. I'm ready for a good day. How about you? <laughs> Jim, good to be here. Oh, yeah. Audrey, I, why not have a Woo-hoo. good day? Audrey, right. Audrey's sitting next to me and she's got a good vibrations. Yeah, if you want to know where we're going to have yeah. to start videoing these. I've got a good vibes dress on. Good vibes. And uh, Jim, has, Jim has a hat on that says blessed. That's right. And then, he has some, and then he has some kind of a moose on his shirt. I don't know what that represents, but uh, that that represents uh, watch where you step. Mooses leave stuff behind that's sort of like doctrine. It might be real deep, but that don't really mean you want to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very funny. That's excellent. You're pretty quick today. That was that was pretty amazing. Well, you know, that's about as deep as I'll probably go today. My, my mind is saying you better you better get anything good out you want to say right now because that, that might be as far as we go. So we'll title the podcast "Don't Step in It." Yeah. That's right. That's our that's the name of our podcast for today. Yeah, for today. The theme is. Oh, my, my. Okay, Audrey, do you want to kind of give us a heads up of our previous couple podcasts? Because we've kind of uh, made a bit of a shift here. And then uh, I'll lead us in. Yeah, I love some of the highlights from last week because, you know, just starting right out last week talking about, you know, anything God does is through human beings. Like he used, we are his outlet. We are his expression. We are his reflection. We are all these things. What he does is through us. And also on the flip side of that, anything the enemy does is also through human beings. So this is how we learn how to live well, how to, how to work, you know, get, choose our day because the thief is going to come to steal, kill and destroy. We talked about that last week, but then we talked about how, um, just the idea of perception, because because missing, oh, this is it. I didn't have my reading glasses on. The missing element <laughs> is that how I see God is actually how everything is going to get transformed in my heart and life. How I yeah. see and how I see God and myself and others is really what changes everything. So that was really encouraging mm-hmm. to me. I would, I loved last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, the thing, the thing people do is. They they think that change comes by gathering intellectual information, right? And you know we should. That's renewing your mind. That's knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. and the Bible teaches you to re- renew your mind. My, my sister posted a great post today in our Ultimate Impact Group, mm-hmm. and she said, "You know, the sons of thunder." Uh, at one point in time, they wanted to call down fire on, I believe it was the Samaritans, for not receiving what Jesus had to preach. And they cited the scripture where uh, uh, Elijah had called down fire as their justification for wanting to call down fire. And she said, just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean it's in Jesus. Mm. And I thought, well, that that wow. was that was a profound insight. That is profound. So when we gather intellectual information, the problem is, and we don't realize it, uh, the problem is we are usually remember the mind always seeks to preserve your ego by proving you're right. Mm-hmm. And so when we're gathering intellectual information, which is a work of the mind, and we should renew our mind, we should gather intellectual information, but we have to gather that 
intellectual information in an unbiased way. We, in other words, getting the information, the knowledge, does not mean we have come to the place of understanding, and it doesn't mean we have come right. to the place of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so, people gather intellectual information that points toward their biases and their preferences, mm-hmm. and so. In the end, they think they're getting new insight, but they're not. They're just getting confirmation of personal opinions. Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because when I just look, you make this personal, and we all can do this, you know, as you're listening, you can do the same thing. If you just look back of how the story of your life is going up till this point, I can see that my my greatest um, victory transformations just I like to almost call it leveling up as far as enjoying the kingdom, enjoying Jesus yep. and enjoying life. Those leveling up to really experiencing just that uh, like unforced kind of just joy and peace. Yeah. Those yeah. have happened when I have been able to see something that I had never seen before. Yeah. And I had one just last weekend where I saw something in my heart that put puzzle pieces together for a certain issue I've had. And I yep. saw a picture um, and that visual from that. I just really felt like God placed in my heart. Just all of a sudden I have victory over this now. It's like, Oh, I don't have to fight against this now. Cause now I can see yeah. something in a way that I had never seen it before. Yeah. It was like something was removed from my eyes and I went, Oh, I was ready to see this. And that's why I'm seeing it now. It was interesting. You know, you know, people use the. It's interesting. People use words and terminologies that are in the Bible, but it's amazing how rarely people have ever looked at those words to see what they really mean. Hmm. You know, uh, uh, you know, my my new series I'm doing in Cyber Church right now is on mercy and grace, and and uh, what I'm trying to do is bring out this realization that when we start shaping definitions of words into our own preferences, preferences that's what the Bible calls, yeah. that's what it calls private interpretation. Mm. Uh, and the Apostle Peter talks about how, you know, how wicked that is. But so when I start shaping definitions to my preferences, then what I'm really doing, I am forcing the Word of God into a concept that I've already determined right. is how fit, I want it to like be. It's like it fits me. It fits me yeah. better like this. This fits yeah. better with everything that I've known so far or experienced. So this is how it's going to fit in. And, you know, I picked that passage from Hebrews where it talks about, you know, coming before the throne of, of mercy and grace. And, and it's really interesting. We come before the mer- throne of mercy and grace and, we, you know, we experience the mercy of God. But then it talks about we experience grace to help. Hmm. That's kind of interesting that that little, little, that, that little yes. phrase is put on there. Because help indicates, you know, being strengthened to do something that you couldn't do before, which is exactly what grace is. But mercy does not make you able to do what you couldn't do. Now, the problem is when you want grace, every time you see the word grace, you want it to be about mercy our compassion, our forgiveness, our, that, those kinds of things. We're not saying those are not attributes of God, but we're saying when you want the word grace to mean what it doesn't mean, then you dummy that word down to the place that, that it alters the way you see God, it alters the way you see yourself, but also you don't get anything to help you 
overcome the problem because you have redefined wow. the word. You're, you're not believing so for what good. Jesus said to believe for. Yeah, like mercy doesn't help you to live differently. No. It, grace is that power. Yeah. yeah. Mercy says it's safe for me to come to God. It's safe ah. for me to own my stuff. It's safe for me to be honest. Ah. But but none of that gets me out of sin. None of that gets me out of the limitations of how I'm defining God at this moment. Wow. You have said that so well. It's amazing how we can talk about the same words for 35 years yeah. <laughs> and the depth continues. So we are getting deep. <laughs> the moose oh, yeah. the moose was correct. We are That's getting right. deep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the moose was prophetic for our time together. Now, now Bob, we but, interrupted where you no, were no, going 12, 12 minutes ago. <laughs> but you have to remember that, you know, as we're being saved, that it's a sweet aroma, unlike, yeah. unlike the moose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put the moose part in. Unlike the moose. Okay. Right. We're about to. We're about to get your theology straightened out here, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, we're talking about because we want to see, and I think that's what perception, you know, really is about. Yeah. Is is a a perception that I have of how I see God and even how he sees me. Um, Mm -hmm. We're talking, I think this is a, a phrase that is easily used you know, in our, in our circles. And that is, you know, from glory to glory, he's changing me. And so there is this, you know, transformation that is taking place. Uh, but what we want to reference here and take a look at is second Corinthians uh, chapter three, and it speaks there and it talks about the old covenant and the new it speaks about Moses and receiving, you know, the law and him, yep. you know, being uh, at Mount Sinai with God and coming away radiant, you know, with his presence. But it was a, a radiance that was fading. And yep. so uh, there's there's a few things, Jim, that we've been kind of mentioning in, in leading into today's episode and just the whole idea of a veil. And there was a veil that Moses put over his face. And sometimes there's a veil that we have over our hearts. So let's kind of begin to take a look at this passage uh, because we're living in something that's new today. And if, if what Moses was experiencing was glorious, it says, how much more should it be then for us? So I'm, I'm going to just start with verse 16, 17, and 18. I'll just read it real quick. But whenever, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we change into his glorious image. And that was the New Living Translation. And, you know, golly, that that passage right there, honestly, we could speak on this for the next 10 episodes. Lot. Yeah. It was. Hmm. And, and again, I have lots of questions as I read through it. So, oh, I, yeah. I mean, we'll just kind of, you know, begin to poke at it a little bit. But yep. there will be some really good application of applied to life today. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, 
this I, I remember years ago uh, I was preaching about something and I had a I had a pretty good general idea of a of a particular word that I was emphasizing a lot. And uh, when I started looking at the the pushback that I was getting from people on this particular series that I was teaching, I realized, well, wait a minute, you know, they don't they don't know what they're talking about. They're they're misusing this word. But suddenly it dawned on me, well, wait a minute. When's the last time I did a deep dive into this word? <laughs> and so, you know, I thought, you know, I need to apply this to myself more than I apply it to anybody else. And so I went back and did a deep dive into this word and actually just answered questions that I had had about God, you know, for ages. And, uh, and and so I thought, here I am. I am out here preaching a word, and I'm not off base with it. You know, I'm not totally off base with it. I'm I am within the boundaries of what this word really means and how this is applied. But the truth is, I haven't even bothered to go back and make sure that you know how I'm presenting this today is how, opposed to how I saw it when I first did my research. You know, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I started realizing, well, wait a minute, there's things I see and understand today that I did not understand then, yes. but my view was limited to my opinion, mm. my intellectual opinion. Well, isn't that true? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. for all of us, mm-hmm. it, it, it's well, almost as though our opinions precede and we, we search for evidence no. that supports my opinion. No, that, that's exactly what we do because uh, a carnal man and a carnal man is the opposite of a spiritual minded man. When I say carnal, I'm not saying that you're wicked or depraved. I am saying that you think in line with with understanding the world and understanding what's happened around you based on concepts that come out of the world and concepts that are based on uh, uh Basic carnal knowledge, yeah, and even and, limited knowledge. Yeah, of course, yeah, because yeah, yeah. carnal knowledge is limited. Yeah, and so, so spirit, you know, the spiritual man always—it doesn't matter if we're talking about marriage, it doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, raising kids, it doesn't matter if we're talking about our our sex life, it really doesn't matter what we're talking about. Uh, it, that, you know, when you start talking about most of these intimate areas of life. People always start this sentence, well, here's what I believe, or here's what I think. And, you know, I finally, over the years, and I know it sounds pretty rude, but I finally got to where I, sometimes if it was somebody I knew pretty well, I would say, you know what? I don't really care what you think. God doesn't care what you think. What does God think? And are you willing to surrender your view and your opinion to God's view and opinion? And if you're not, then not only are you carnal minded, but you are, in fact, uh, rebelling against God. Mm-hmm. I always have been committed to the Word of God. I've always been committed to the fact that my point of view just did not matter. What mattered was God's point of view. What you know? What does God say about something? How does He say it works? And so over the years, that you know has become intimately linked to my concept of lordship, hmm. and the concept of lordship is really one of the primary pieces that's missing out of the whole 21st century concept of Christianity or living by faith or whatever terminology that, you know, that 
that you want to use. Because if Jesus is not Lord, then you are not surrendering your opinions to his opinions, mm, mm-hmm. which means you can't actually be following him. Hmm. You might say you are, you might kind of try to be following him, but you're not. Uh, if you're not surrendering your opinions, you're you're basically inviting him to endorse your opinion rather than us receiving the invitation that he is giving us to surrender our opinion. Yeah. And I find that in a practical way, I, you know, like you could ask the question, how do I know if I'm not surrendering my opinion? Well, if things aren't working well for you in a certain area, um, that's just a great indicator that maybe some opinions need to be surrendered. I mean, you yep. know what I'm saying? There's, this is my opportunity <clears throat> to not say that I'm wrong, but say, wow, maybe I'm stuck or limited myself into some opinions yep. that there's something more that I haven't looked at or seen. So I'm going to have courage and say, oh, I don't like the field that the seeds of my life are growing right now. So I would yep. love to explore God, how I can surrender my opinion to you, because maybe I've been fixated on this being a certain way. Yeah. You know, um, I did a study. I, you know, our UI group, is, is this, it is not a coaching group for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, I mean, I challenge these people, and it amazes me how, how many of them have been a part of this coaching group for years. And, they, you know, they don't like it sometimes when I challenge them, but they take the challenge and, you know, they go search out things for themselves mm-hmm. and they do studies for themselves. So one of the things I begin noticing you know, I, I have taught, and you guys you guys know I've, I've taught this for ever since y'all ever know me, you know, that Satan is defeated. Right. He has absolutely no authority over, over mm-hmm. us, none whatsoever. And so, you know, I go through, I have this very systematic, biblically-based concept of who, of who the devil is and what his limitations are and how we have overindulged him and given him permission to do things in our life because because of what religion has told us and not what we got of the Bible. So anyhow, uh, but every now and then, I would still notice people that were pretty stable, mm-hmm. you know, would make a post. Because one of the things about this coaching group, this UI group, is that uh, people are really encouraged you know, to share their testimonies, share their victories, and uh, and let this become the place where they learn how to encourage people and learn how to receive encouragement. But it would amaze me how often I would see pretty stable people that would make some reference to the devil doing something to them. Yeah. And uh, it didn't mean that their theology was totally off. It just meant that it was off enough that if you know if it comes up in your conversation, whether you realize it or not, it is coming up in your thoughts, right, and in right. your reactions, right, exactly. So I did this thing that was uh, I just said you know what I did I devoted one whole coaching session two mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. to the history of the devil and fallen angels. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, the testimonies that I got back from people who really, I mean, they considered Satan a defeated foe, but they they had their own definition of what that meant, not the biblical definition of what that meant. 
And so I started from the original creation of angels, which was before heaven and earth was created, Mm -hmm. went to what happened, you know, with angels when the earth was created and, you know, got into the, what their role was supposed to be had they not rebelled. And all their role was ever supposed to be was that they were supposed to be servants to those who would inherit salvation. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, I go, then I go into what happens, you know, what happens in the gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, which represents the, the, the probability that that's actually when Satan rebelled. And, and that's where the earth became without form and void. So then I go to uh, what the Hebrew teaches about the recreation of the reorganization of the earth. And so, so, I mean, I go through every bit of that. You know, I bring it forward to, uh, you know, Lucifer having access to the presence of God in the book of Job and how that the Bible clearly states that he lost that access, but people still believe he goes up there and accuse. You know, I just, I mean, I'm telling you, I go through the, <laughs> I mean, there were some things, there were some things I left out, but I went through two hours. Wow. Of verses, and this is what these verses mean. And you know, it was amazing how many good, solid people were just like, you know what? I just, I never saw it this way. I mean, you know, I never saw it as Mm -hmm. this absolute victory that the Bible Mm -hmm. uh, presents it. So, so then the problem was, and everything they thought about spiritual warfare, everything they thought about what Jesus accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection, and everything they thought about their authority as believers was totally limit, limited by this one doctrinal hmm. corruption hmm. based on an opinion that some preacher gave them that never came out of the Bible. You, could, you know, there's all of these things about the devil that you cannot find a single scripture anywhere in the Bible to address. And interesting, you said the words, I never saw the victory. Like we're talking about perception today. Yeah. I never saw the victory had. Well, then if you never see, if you haven't seen that kind of victory, you won't experience yep. that kind of victory because you haven't seen it. But once you can see it, now you can experience because your perception is opened up. And, you know, when people begin to go down this journey, see, you know, revealed, see, there is no, really, there is no biblical phrase called revelation knowledge. Right. That is a phrase that was made up by people twisting what the Bible says. You know, all of the new covenant realities are clearly explained in the Old Testament. And so, you know, when you don't understand something about the New Covenant, you can almost always go back to where it was first mentioned and go, oh, well, wait a minute. This is a whole this is a whole different deal here. And so and so, you know, you know, we don't do that. We don't we don't look at the Bible like this is the word of life. This is this is where I find my answer to everything, not some Mm -hmm. things, not Mm -hmm. church things. This is where I find my answer to everything. Therefore, we should be digging it out, you know, like a gold mine. And so 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 you start realizing then if if a perception of my other devil is incorrect to whatever degree is incorrect, then that means I have a misperception of what Jesus did on the death on the cross. 
which means I have a misperception of what Jesus did, that I've changed my perception of the devil. I'm now given him opportunity to work in my life because of that perception. I, you know, I changed my perception of what I believe about sin, about grace, about mercy, about all of these things. And, and, and all of the places where I water down the perception I have of God, it means that I'm not just changing my doctrine. I'm changing what I believe about God and what I believe about the cross of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'm changing it to fit a perception. Mm-hmm. So to come out of a perception, it doesn't mean I start with a new perception. Mm-hmm. It really means I start with repentance. Yes, yes. And that's got to be the place that it all starts. And remember, the entire journey into kingdom living, which is both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, uh, that the whole journey starts with having a repentant attitude, mm-hmm. which means I am mm-hmm. teachable. I am open. I'm willing to give up my opinions. Yes. Because John the Baptist, the first thing he says is like, look, kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent. Yes. Now, we we twist that to mean something that he wasn't saying. Right. But then even Jesus, that was the first thing that he said. And, you know, people try to make repentance an old covenant concept, and it's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. It, it is just simply saying you you need to surrender your opinion yes. to God, and you need to turn and lean in toward God and let what God says about himself and about everything else, let that become and shape your opinion. And then that opinion will have the capability of shaping your perception of God, which will change your experience of transformation. I love that. Even just what you said about repentance. Repentance you know, we've all talked about change the way you think, but what I just heard you say right now, repentance is surrender and leaning and letting him shape the way you think like surrendering, leaning on him. I love that you use the word leaning. I surrender this to him. And you know, I find that probably any struggle or challenge that we face during a day or in a year or whatever, it's always an invitation to surrender and lean yep. and let him change the way you think. Because I, Bob and I have recently been saying, you know, there's no such thing of, as problems. There's just lack of understanding. Yep. And so it's, this isn't a problem. This is a lack of understanding where I, I am invited to surrender something of my mm-hmm. opinion or my preference or something that I have limited because this is time to surrender and lean. Yep. I love surrender and lean. You can tell. Oh, lean yeah. in, surrender it, and then just That's lean right. in. Mm-hmm. Don't try and figure it out by yourself. Just lean yeah. in to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to bring that understanding. Well, see, back, back to this thing about revelation knowledge. See, New Testament believers have taken the concept of revelation knowledge to be where God reveals something to you from the scripture that's that's basic, that's doctrinally based. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just about information and just about changing your doctrine. It has nothing about changing your heart. It has right. to do with intellectualism. Right. And so, uh, so you know, the, the reality it's of it like, is— It's just more like just changing the, lo- uh, the logistics of this. It's, that doesn't do a thing. Uh, and see, the concept of revelation knowledge has grown, and because, again— misdefining words and using words that aren't really rooted in the scripture. So revelation knowledge has now grown to where God gives me private revelation about things that supersede the scripture. You know, there's a whole group of people out there today that believe 
that uh, any revelation they get is is as valid as anything in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Because Jesus is in them, and he's given them a revelation. And what's the difference between us getting a revelation and the Apostle Paul getting a revelation? Well, the difference is all of the revelation that all of them had was rooted in what the Bible calls the Scripture, what we call the Old Testament. So it wasn't just something, an opinion coming out of thin air. Actually, the word would more appropriately be translated, not as revelation knowledge, uh, but uh, as revealed knowledge. Mm. And revealed knowledge is not when God shows you something that's not in the Bible. It's really not even about, uh, uh, about a new definition of doctrine. Revealed knowledge is always about God taking what you have already invested in in your heart and 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 him revealing to you how to put that to practice in your life yeah. mm. has nothing to do with new doctrine yeah I, I think a lot of people get themselves in this place of feeling stuck and even yeah. their life with god can almost feel a little boring sometimes yeah and so they try to gather more information to yeah. tantalize their brain, stimulate their brain. Yeah. But this is what you're speaking about, and that just becomes, you know, that carnal mind. And I'm just, you know, feeding self and feeding ego, yeah. but I'm basing mm. everything on right and wrong. Yeah. Now, you oh, know, that was all, the wrong interpretation. all I want to do yeah. is be right. Yeah. And yeah. in order to be right, yes, then I'm proving you wrong. Hmm. And this is where, you know, people experience all of these debates and all of these arguments and so forth. Yep. And it's, there's this, there's no coming together. So I don't mind having a discussion because you just said repentance. It begins with that place of repentance. Well, yep. I'm going to change the way that I think. Hmm. Okay. There is that renewing of the, of the mind, you know, uh, principle that is so very, very yep. true. But when when I make this adjustment, you know, to the revealed knowledge, all of a yeah. sudden I have new possibilities yeah. and they're infinite possibilities in God. And then yep. you'll begin to experience new opportunities. And oh, yeah. I think that's th- thrilling, you know, in the life of the believer. Yeah. And so yeah. as, as you're sharing today, this is something, you know, the applied to life that's the exciting part of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, he said, the reason you're blind and stuck in your sin. Mm. Now, don't, don't think about sin. Again, sin is one of those words. We have, number one, there's about eight or nine words in the Greek for sin. They all mean something different. So it might do you well when you're talking about sin in a particular passage to look the word up and see which word you're using. Mm, yeah. And so, so most people have a very legalistic religious concept of sin and that sin is what you're doing wrong. And, and then, then they devolve and end that into why God's mad at you and why God's right. making bad things out of it. Oh, man. In. Yeah. But but the reality of it is sin more than what you're doing wrong. Sin is what is limiting your life because hmm. sin is when we fall short of the glory of God. Well, the glory of God is God's view, God's opinion, God's reality. So if if I'm experiencing less from God than he is giving, than he is offering, th- then I have a limited life. So I will be stuck. 
where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus said, the reason you're stuck in sin is because you insist that you see. And if you Ah. saw, if you saw, you would not be stuck. And so, so you stop and think about it. In order to come out of a problem, you are going to have to be open to and recognize uh, something that up until this point you've been wrong about. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you've got a belief that's not biblically based. It's not based on the finished work of Jesus, you know, all these kinds of factors. And so, so if you knew how to get unstuck, then you wouldn't need God's help. You know, you would already have the information. And if you knew how to get unstuck, you wouldn't be stuck. So this means to be unstuck, I've got to go face something that I've never dealt with before. I've never owned before. I've never admitted it before. And uh, and so that's where the openness and actually that's where the humility comes in. You know, Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. It always amazes me. All these people that are fighting and screaming about their definition of grace. I'm like, well, everything you're saying and the way you're saying it, I'm sitting there thinking, then this means you're not qualified for it. Because you're not a bit humble. You're not a bit teachable. You're not, you know, if I even read you a scripture that you don't like about grace, you will reject that book from the Bible saying that we're not going to read that anymore then. Hmm. And so, the, so if, there's, if there's no humility, which is to surrender your will to the will of God, surrender your opinion to the opinion of God, if there's no humility, then you can't learn anything new, which means you stay blind and stuck all of your life. So it's a bash to most people's ego because, again, they're not living from their heart. They're living from the mind. And the mind always seeks to to preserve the ego by proving that you're right, by causing you to see information and and perceive information incorrectly Mm -hmm. that makes you think that you're right. It's so interesting because... and. And just incredibly fascinating that we, this is an all your life journey. We are, we are moving forward all the time. And if, and if we aren't seeing new, if in order to move forward and to get unstuck, I have to admit there's something I have to face that I've never seen before. And that doesn't mean we get self-deprecating or we, we get all sin hungry, like got to find out what it is. But along the journey of our heart, all of a sudden we realize now that I, it, it just happens. It's along no. the journey. I see depth of something I, I hadn't before. Um, this no. happened to me recently in the area of um, deception. I've never, just would have never seen myself as deceptive. I mean, that's a pretty strong word. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't see myself telling lies per se. But in this last week, I have faced the fact that there are, um, uh, things that I haven't, uh, that the performing side of me pretends that I'm something I'm not. And that is a form of deception that in fear, I have made something sometimes better than what it is instead of facing yeah. what it really is. This is just an example, but I'm just, yeah. this is, this is like in the last three days. So if this isn't ongoing and it's not that I, 
this excites me when I see that because I go, wow, I get to conquer fear even to a deeper level. That yep. fear will not allow me to look, make something look different than it really is. That's what I mean. Yeah. I think that's the way I would say it. So I'm just saying that this is not something that you learn once and then you, you, you continue right. every day, every week. If your heart on this heart journey, you will see in new ways like, wow, I get to level up. And fear, I don't have to let fear cause me to deceive in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I know it sounds like pretty heavy, but it's not. It's actually super light. Well, it's freedom. It would be heavy to a person who is trying to protect their ego. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be, man, for a person who's trying to protect their ego to admit that they are deceptive in an area or that they, you know, deception can go so many directions. Like yeah. we say, it can be trying to make a situation look better than it is, yeah. trying to make yourself look better than you are. Right. But, you know, it can also go into trying to prove my doctrine just because I have this desperate need to be right. That's all, that's all ego-driven. Yes. And so, you know, you go back to the scripture that you opened with, Bob. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians there, in that particular situation, it's saying that uh, it's the veil over people's eyes that keeps them from coming into freedom. Because, where the, you know, you know where, where the Spirit of the Lord is, the veil is removed, and people see Jesus as he is, and they experience the spirit of, of liberty, as a King James would say, which, which is freedom. But... So kind of the indication is, is really does, it's not just the law. It's not just legalism. Uh, it, is, it is any perception that we have that is not rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, then, then that is the veil that's over our eyes, our opinions, our doctrines, uh, our, our ego issues. These, these, are the, this is the veil, these are the veils that we wear over our eyes mm-hmm. that, make it impossible for us to accurately see things about God and about life as they really are. When you, can you repeat just so that I can hear it one more time, Jim, what are the things that are the veil? Like say that again. Really? You know, I mean, in, in the context of second Corinthians three, it's talking about the law. Okay. And so many people then try to say, then the law is the only veil there is. Well, actually, it's you know, really if you if you look at all the scripture, it's not the law. Mm-hmm. It is uh, the weakness of the flesh. It's when you try yes. to fulfill the law in your own strength. So, so yes. we got to move past yeah. a simple definitions sometimes. But what, what, what's the big picture here? Wow! Yeah. And as you take a at look. When you take a look here at Second Corinthians three, it's not so much the law, but it's the fulfillment of the law. How will you fulfill it? And so there, there was an entire uh, Levitical priesthood line that this is how you fulfill it, yeah. and, and that's impossible. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you believe in Jesus, oh, now He fulfilled it all. Mm. And so that's, that's where, you know, the big difference is, is just that I can't do this in and of myself, but believing in Jesus now, Mm. that's when the veil is removed. 
Very, very yeah, cool. And see, again, that's one of those places where I see people not going to the Scripture and saying the Scripture says it's turning to Jesus. It, they, they, will, they will say it's about rejecting the law. Yes. And becoming lawless and calling that freedom. You know, being lawless is being trapped in, is being trapped oh, in sin. It's yep. so much sin. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't set you free. It doesn't. So, so the veil is really any opinion that we hold that distorts our willingness to see the truth the way it is represented through the finished work of Jesus, mm-hmm. really. Because and surrendering to him as Lord. Yeah. Because what hardens my heart is my sheer determination to yep. make things happen. You see, yep. I can do it my way. Wow. You see, yep. just being strong-willed, all of a sudden, I begin to experience a hard heart. Well, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, I, I've realized, I'm not being ugly here, but I realize most people, to, to dislodge something they've believed all their life, yeah. number one, they have to hear the truth over and over and over again. But they also, every time they catch themselves thinking the way they used to think, they got to do something about it. They got to put off, put on, put that, put that off, and then put on the truth. And so, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, you know, just very shortly, I'll be, I'm going to be reteaching the book of of Romans for our school of ministry, and uh, one of the most comprehensive insights that I've had in the book of Romans in the last decade is the fact that when every Every place where there is something negative said about the law, the definite article the is not in the original language. Now, when the definite article the is in the original language, it is referring to something very specific. And so when when the book of Romans says something good about the law, the definite article the is there. So what does that say? It's saying the law, speaking very specifically of the law of Moses, is never uh, uh, disparaged anywhere in the Word of God. And so when when the word the is not there, it's not talking about the law of Moses. It is talking about the realm of law, which is legalism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I had somebody write me, uh, kind of, I, I kind of felt sorry for him. I, you know, I don't think I answered him. Didn't have time. There's some people you just don't have time to answer because, you know, but but this this guy was like, like, I don't know what, I don't know what you think you're talking about, but the word legalism is not in the scripture anywhere. You know, you want to write it back and say, well, let me just explain this to you. The Bible is not written in English. So if you're looking for certain words in the English <laughs> translation, then you know you're 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 beyond my ability to help. Yeah. Because because while no, and that's the truth. I can't I can't help you if you're gonna limit your concepts of the word of God. You know, in this by the way, in this new series I have one of the messages there's what uh, I have several messages in here about how to think. Uh-huh. And you know, one of them is called the logic of everything. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, the logos is the logic. I mean, it's the wisdom, it's the logic, it's the character, it's the nature. And so once you get the logos of everything, and you get this not through individual verses as much as you get them through seeing patterns throughout many verses. So it's like, like that thing I did on Satan where I went through his history. You know, when I get to the end of it, my question is, what is the pattern that you see here? Because God actually 
God reveals himself every way he can. And so there's a lot of single statements about God in the Bible where you say, okay, now that, this, this reveals something about God. But a single statement only reveals one dimension. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the yes. goodness of God, yes. or yes. the love of God, or yeah. whatever. But when you start seeing God discussing anything about mercy, graciousness, kind, when you start seeing Him discussing these from a multitude of different scriptures and words with different definitions, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is bigger than any one single phrase can define. And so then you start looking for patterns. What are the patterns here? And so, uh, uh, you know, you start realizing the pattern that you see with the devil is that everywhere where the Bible discusses Satan, it reveals him as being defeated through the finished work of Jesus. So how can you how can you take a pattern that is revealed all the way through the Bible and come down to one obscure uh, uh, scripture and creating your own definition about how can you how can you how can you reject dozens, if not hundreds, of scriptures based on one obscure yeah. uh, uh, interpretation? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Exactly. You know, I want people to see the patterns, I, not yes, just yes. the individual statements. Yes. See the patterns. So, see the character of God. See his names. All yeah. the things that we talk about, his, like everything about him, the layers, the dimensions of everything that is God. Yeah. Well, you know, you know one of the scriptures I teach so much is, is taken from a— uh, Ezekiel 34, you know, mm -hmm. where, where Moses is saying, God, show me your glory. Mm. And God says, all right, I will. I'm going to show you my goodness. And I know Moses would be saying, no, no, you misunderstood. I didn't ask you to show me your goodness. I want to see your glory. Mm -hmm. And God's like, well, I'm going to show you my glory by showing you my goodness. <laughs> It's sort of like when the Apostle Paul kept, and here Apostle Paul is, he's the guy that introduced the concept of grace into the new covenant, you know, more than anybody else. And he keeps saying, Lord, remove this thorn from me. Yeah. And, and God says, well, my grace is sufficient. And Paul's like, well, no, you're not understanding. My grace is sufficient. No, you're not understanding. God's like, no, you're not understanding. My grace is sufficient. Wait a minute. And so it's one of those things where God is saying, if grace is what you say it is, if it's his strength and this capacity and this ability, and it works from your heart, it comes by unmerited favor and all this kind of stuff. If that's what grace really is, and that's what you believe grace really is, then you understand that I, you know, I've called you to do something that the truth is you can't do it in your own strength. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you don't if you don't believe my grace is sufficient to get you through this, and you're going to be stuck in this opinion that you have to get delivered from it mm. in order to fulfill your destiny, and yeah. that's kind of the way it was with Moses. It's like Moses, and you have to really do a verse by verse deep dive study. Moses was really about to shipwreck his destiny uh, because of how he saw God and how he implemented. God's word or put it into application with the people. And, 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 you know, he's like, no, I want to see your glory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, God didn't say this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm creating, yes, yes. but, it, but it's sort of like God said, well, then maybe you need to rethink your definition of glory. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is one of the most powerful, you know, another, another one of the messages in this new Mercy and Grace series is what I call complementary opposites. Mm. And, you know, the Bible has figures of speech 
that reveal things through all kinds of different anomalies, all kinds of different uh, uh, illusions. And in the Hebrew language alone, there are over 200 figures of speech used in the Bible. Hmm. And if we don't recognize that, then we don't grasp complementary opposites. So in this thing with Moses, God is saying, let me tell you something, let me tell you who I am. And, and really, he, what he reveals to him is the, his greatest glory is revealed through his mercy and his goodness. And so then he says, look, I can, you know, I forgive all iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. I forgive this. I forgive that. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. Da, 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 da. And, then all, and then all of a sudden, it sounds like he contradicts himself. But it's only a contradiction if you're a one-dimensional thinker. Because then God says, but I do not let sin stand. In other words, in other words, I will never, even though I'm merciful, I will never, and really I can't because of the legal boundaries by which the universe was established. And God established everything by legal boundaries. That's not legalism. You know, gravity is not legalism. It works for you or it works against you, according to whether you're jumping off the house or, you know, or, or trying to fly an airplane, you know. And so, and so, but God is saying, saying you got to understand, though, my goodness, my mercy, my graciousness, none of that means I will just for no reason wipe the slate clean. I will give you a way to deal with it, and I will be compassionate, but I will never just say, just let it go. Don't worry about it. Are we having a quiet stare here? Yes, we are. <laughs> we're having a quiet stare because I think that we're, I am personally, I'm just going through all the times I have done that. Like, I'm just going through the times where I've just made it so linear that it has yeah. to be like this. And it's yeah. like, it's so extremely full. It's a whole lifetime of full that we won't even touch the surface of the goodness of God, just the goodness of God. That that is, you know, you want my glory. It's the goodness. Goodness is just beyond what we could ever, ever comprehend. But I'm willing and I'm wanting to experience the kind of life in the kingdom that helps me to get the reveal, to lift the veil, to see his goodness. Sure. I shared a story a little while ago about how I saw, whoa, I've been deceptive and I didn't even know it. But that's one. The other 99 that I've seen is, wow, I didn't see how good God was. I yeah. didn't see how much he loved me so personally. I didn't see this. This is incredible. Yeah. So then when you see the one, oh, wow, I didn't see how I was deceptive. Yeah. It was more like, oh, okay, well then let's just go there. But it doesn't destroy me. It's just more like God, it's back to God is so good. He's just always so good. Well, it's sort of like, you know, the whole left and by the way, when I say left and liberals, I'm not talking just about Democrats. I'm talking about 90% of Republicans and, you know, 90% of the Democrats. They're, they're liberals who are anti-God, they're anti-gospel, they're anti-morality, they're anti-everything except what puts money in their pockets. And, you know, if people don't understand that about their party and who they're voting for, then they're very, very, very naive. And, uh, you know, you know. One of the people that most Christians would fight you about what a principled Christian George Bush was. Well, I got news for you. Everything's happening in our country today is pretty much happening because of laws that George Bush passed that were anti-biblical, anti-freedom, anti-constitutional. And so, you know, we just get into, the, into these 
things where we want to insist that the way we see something is right. We want to have a big fight, a big argument, you know, about it. And uh, and we get one dimensional and, and, and one sided. But but you know, you just stop and think. So so God is saying, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna devote a bunch of a bunch of verse, a bunch of lines or statements here to just express on a multidimensional level how merciful and how good I am. But I'm also going to make sure that you don't turn this into a veil that you put over your eyes because I am not saying this means I just overlook sin. Right. And if you think that, he, he says, if you think, see, the people who believe that God overlooks sin, what they don't understand, they are the people that are creating the corruption that's in the world today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the moment people get a free pass for violence, for murder, for crime, for theft, for rape, the minute they get a free pass, then that becomes a permission. And, you know, people will argue, well, I don't preach, I don't give people permission to sin. Yes, you do. If you only bring out one limited concept of what mercy and grace is. Mm-hmm. And so people don't recognize that they are that they're encouraging sin and murder and theft and rape and all these things. No, I'm, I'm saying be merciful. No, you've got a definition of mercy that is in strict uh, contradiction of what God says. So how you, you know, you know, so are you saying that you're more merciful than God? Do you understand more about mercy than God does? No, you don't. So you've got to find a way, and this is going to happen in your heart. It's not going to happen in your brain. You've got to find a way to go before God and say, God, my sense of what mercy is makes me need to define mercy as you just giving people a pass mm-hmm. on sin. Mm-hmm. And your word says that's not the truth. So how do I how do I understand the complexities of mercy without getting into permissiveness? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and see, you know, the heart is where we have the capacity for understanding. You know, we we gather yes. knowledge in our mind mostly, right? And then, but then the heart gives us the capacity for understanding. Now, understanding is when you have this capability to look at these complementary opposites and instead of seeing them as as something that brings negative distinctions and and conflict between two points of view you start to oh wait a minute i have to have both of those points yes. of view yes i have to have both of those standards of responsibility mm-hmm. if i don't then then i'm taking part of the word of god out which you know a half truth is not a truth at all so when I'm preaching or teaching or ministering or posting on Facebook a half-truth, that I am lying and I am actually accusing God. So as we bring this all to our listeners saying, okay, this is the end of the podcast, what is that? Um, I feel like what we've talked about is so rich and so important today. Yep. What would you say is that apply to life? As like we kept on talking about that, like the first scripture you read this today, Bob, is turn. Like you said, yep. you, that was when you started reading the scripture, the first word that just jumped out to me was turn. Mm-hmm. But yep. what would you say, Jim, would be that sort of, well, let's leave with this thought and this take home. Or okay. I, I would never give a one dimensional definition to something as broad as what we've been talking about. Yes. Yes. Uh, but number one, you know, 
knowledge we gather with our mind, renew the mm-hmm. mind with, with right. new information. Now, it is not new information if you immediately force it to something you already believe. Mm-hmm. you got to let it speak for itself. Then, as we go before God and make this a matter of prayer, and as we start looking through the Scripture to see all of these, like I say, opposing realities, and suddenly we, we realize, oh, well, wait a minute. Yes, this is true, but there's something else over here that's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I got to start seeking God for understanding. And understanding is where I start being able to bring all of these pieces together, even when they're opposites. And from there, I go to wisdom. And wisdom is always about practical applications. Good. Now, yeah. the only place I can resolve this without getting stuck in my ego-driven intellect is by looking at Jesus. Yeah. You see, can I look at Jesus and say, no, look, Jesus always gave people a pass for sin. No, you can't. Matter of fact, Jesus warned people if they didn't get out of sin, worse things would happen in their life. Didn't say God would do worse things. He just said worse things would happen. And so you start looking at how many beliefs do I have that I pick some aspect of what Jesus did and, and then I ignore other aspects of what he taught and what he did. Well, that means I am taking the name of the Lord Jesus in vain. Mm-hmm. I am saying, I, you know, I don't care what the Bible says about him. I don't care what he says about himself. I don't care. This. I see this yeah. one thing and that's and it. And this is the way I need to see yeah, it exactly. because I am not. And, you know, honestly, most people see it that way because of a lack of faith, because they don't they don't believe God is merciful and they know their own weaknesses. They know their own failures. And the honest truth is uh, most of the people that I ever deal with that I help them get out of liberal theology. At some point in time, they always admit that they chose liberal theology because they had fear and guilt about their own life and about the lives of their children and the lives of the people that they love. Mm -hmm. But if I choose a liberal theology because my children are in sin, guess what will happen? I will never help them overcome it. Right. I I will always give them a pass. I will always tell them, go ahead and destroy your life. God really doesn't mind. Mm-hmm. And, and and I will set my children or my grandchildren or my spouse or my friend, I will set these people on a course of destruction uh, because if I, if I challenge them with the truth, number one, it's uncomfortable for me. But number two, it might challenge something that I am doing in my own life. Yeah. So until we look at Jesus and, and, you know, it's like a lot of people say, well, you know, man, if you want to experience, if you want to experience the grace of God, then, uh, you know, like a, a one guy I know that I counseled with one time, you know, he was struggling with homosexuality. And so his advice that he got from somebody that thought they had this big revelation of grace was, well, just go ahead and enjoy homosexuality and see how much God loves you. Well, you know what? God does still love them, but they're still going to destroy their lives. They're not going to find peace. They're not. You know, matter of fact, the Bible says doesn't matter if it's whoremongering, doesn't matter if it's immorality, doesn't matter if it's lying or stealing or homosexuality. Doesn't matter wh- which sin it is. It says you cannot come into righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit if you give yourself to these things. Yeah. And so, so you know, then then I find those people years later where their life is shipwrecked. Not they're often shipwrecked just because of the particular sin that they give into. Their life is shipwrecked because of the path that that puts their life on. So you know, I can't look at Jesus where he ever said, "Oh yeah, go go you know going back in there with that woman you were committing adultery with." It's all right. We'll talk if you get through. 
You know, you don't see that anywhere. And so you can't say that it's the truth because all truth has to be filtered through the life, the teaching, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did I overcomplicate that? No, no, no. Very clear and really great. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And of course, as always, we get to continue the discussion yeah. next week. Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> but, you know, I the, just this this turning today, and there's another thing, Jim, that... I just want to remind our listeners too that I heard today is that I don't want to think I see, you know, I just, I just don't, you know, if things aren't working in my life, then I'm not going to go into a place of self condemnation, but as well, I'm not just going to give it a free pass and just, you know, continue on and, and bully my way through life. Yeah. You know, I'm well said, Bob. That's right. So it's it's just it is. Lord, open my eyes. Yes. I really, I really do want to see. And as Second Corinthians three sixteen says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Yeah. So and and today I heard from you just this beautiful definition of humility. Yeah. And where there is that humility, you will find that grace because I'm going to go through. I don't, nope. I'm not looking for a, a pass. I'm not looking for this, you know, this evacuation, you know, deliverance, but rather there's a grace for my life. Yep. And I want to see the realities so of heaven well said, actually Bob. made mine. Bob, you said that Thank so you, well. I love that. All right, listeners, my friends, I mean, I love you guys. <laughs> Thanks for doing this journey with us. It has been yes. really yes. love Jim, doing this life with you. you. Jim, thank Today you. Today has been really, yeah. yes. I believe all of us, self-included, yes, yes. we've been encouraged as we've just sat together. Yes. I'm going to go higher. Uh, me too. And I'm going to yeah. go further because we've spent this time together. Wow. So thank you. Everyone. Love it. Have a great week. Bye-bye.